you have a copy of God's Word with you or in your pew Bibles, uh, you can turn to Psalm 150. Um, that's where we'll be looking at this morning. Psalm 150, and I think I believe on your pew Bibles it is um, page 526. Um, so let me... Let me read God's word for us, his holy, inerrant, and all-sufficient word for us this morning. From Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? O most gracious and holy God, we come before you and we hear the words of the psalmist to praise you. And Lord, we ask that you would so work in our hearts as we hear your word preached, or that we would be a people who praise you. God, that you would be honored and glorified. And so Lord, may you refresh our souls as you turn our hearts and our eyes to see Christ. And Lord, as we seek to magnify you and your glory, the triune God. We love you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so it's amazing to be back here. Uh, there's some familiar faces here. My name is John. I'm the assistant pastor at Oak Hills Presbyterian Church in America over at Shawnee, Kansas. So if you're ever near the Kansas City area and would ever want to grab a cup of coffee or something, let me know. I'd love to be with you all and get to know you a little bit more. It's great to see some unfamiliar faces or new faces. Uh, the, I believe the last time I was able to preach here was about almost maybe exactly a year ago. Because um, I, I remember it was October. I don't think it was this chilly yet. But it is so great to be back here. And I just want to say from the saints at Oak Hills, we send our greetings to you all. We have been praying for you all as a congregation. Uh, you know, we've got two of our folks here, Adam and, and Nathan, who are, we, it, was a, it was a fun little drive down this morning. Beautiful, uh, as, as what it could be. But we are so glad to be here. And as I was praying and preparing for uh, the sermon this week of, of there's so, so many different places we could go to in Scripture. And it's always sometimes maybe a little bit hard as a guest preacher when you can't go through a book series. Uh, I've been taking our church through Ecclesiastes. I thought, you know, it might be a good change of pace to get out of Ecclesiastes and not try to do that all here. And so I thought of Psalm 150. If you're like me, and maybe you've grown up in the church, or really any Christian, the book of the Psalms tends to be a fan favorite, so to speak, of God's people. I think, I think the words of Calvin get to this. Uh, Calvin speaks of the Psalms, and you've maybe heard of this. He speaks of it as the anatomy of the soul. Uh, what, what John Calvin's getting at there is saying, from, from chapter 1 to chapter 150, within the Psalms is jam-packed 
almost every sort of human experience and emotion that you will go through in this life. Right? We have psalms that are singing songs of praise and delight and of glory to, to God. And then there's also psalms that enter into the deepest valleys and the darknesses that we face. And I imagine for us as we come here this morning, I imagine for us as we're meeting again for some of us after a year, there have been a lot of things that have happened in life. And as I say that, I'm sure there's floods of things going on. Maybe it's even just this morning of things that you felt, even just trying to leave the home with your family. If I can just be very frank and very honest with us, and I hope you can agree with me on this, is sometimes life can be extremely difficult and hard. Not just only our own personal lives, but even when we go onto social media or, 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 or turn on the news, things that are going on, not even just here in Andover, but maybe even broader of just Kansas or the United States or the whole world, it almost seems to be overwhelming to try to even retain all that sorts of information of everything that seems to be going on in the world. And I believe the Psalms, it's a, it's a gracious provision that the Lord has given us a book like the Psalms here. I believe one theologian or one Bible scholar has said that all of the whole Old Testament is, is, is jam-packed here in the Psalms. When you think about the Psalms, it's a unique book because it, it spans thousands of years of history that are jam-packed in there. We see one of the first Psalms from Moses from Psalm 90. It's not just David's Psalms, right? We see the history of, of God's people and, and what God has been doing in the Psalms. And, and I'm not going to try to make my case of how I believe the Psalms should be read, but there is structure to these. Now, oftentimes when we read the Psalms, we might open up the book and find a certain Psalm and take that Psalm out of context and read it. And, and, and the Lord ministers to us as we meditate on his words. We've got, I'm sure, favorite Psalms that we can say, and that's great. But we, we, we might miss the big picture of what the Psalms is doing for us here, especially when we get here to the last Psalm. Now, the Psalms are split up into five books. Most of our Bibles will have these subheadings of where those books are. It's, it's, it's good for us to note that some books are characterized a little bit more with the sadnesses of life, some with the happinesses of life, and really everything in between. But every book of those psalms ends with a sort of praise, a doxology to God. And then we get here to book five, where the last couple of chapters, last few chapters actually, from 146 to 150, is just doxology. It's just praise. It's jam-packed more than some of these other books are. And then we get to Psalm 150, a short psalm like this, and we see the word praise 13 times in this psalm. It is the doxology of doxologies. And you might be wondering, why, why are we looking at all these kind of intricate things that are happening? Because what, what we're trying to see here is for us to be encouraged that the end and purpose of our lives is as simple as this. It's to praise the Lord. 
Do you see what the psalmists are doing here? As, as the psalms are compiled, as we have this psalter before us, it's that as we go through all of the ups and downs in life, as we go through the valleys of shadows of death, as we go through these mountaintop experiences of, of, of seeing God's provisions for us, as we go through everything in between in life, at the end of it, God is showing us this kind of end of the road, this roadmap of where we are headed. As God's people, our end is that we will worship and praise the Lord. And so as you are here this morning, I pray that you would be so encouraged. Because God, yes, we don't know exactly his playbook, so to speak, of our lives, of what we're, what's going to happen every five minutes, ten minutes, but you can trust him in all these endeavors, of, in all of life, because this is where he's taking us. To praise the Lord. So we're going to kind of unpack this psalm here for us a little bit here. And, and, and the first is, the first verse is talking about where our praise should be. Right, we read, praise the Lord. Praise God in this sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. This is talking about the where of our praise. Now, what, what really the psalmist is getting to here, when he's talking about praising God in this sanctuary, we're, we're reminded of God's chosen place for the Old Testament readers. They would have read this as the, the, the tabernacle and then later on as the temple, right? the, this designated place where it's essentially meant to be heaven on earth, right? This reminder that, that God seeks to dwell with his people, but also the reminder that there is something that is a barrier between why God and his people cannot be together, namely sin. But that, but that God is doing something about that. That's the story of Scripture. That God provides a way that he is faithful to his promises, that great covenantal promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. He is working that out in intricate ways. And so the psalmist is saying, yes, we are to praise God as his people, as we are here dwelling, as he, as he dwells with us in, in this chosen place, more specifically, here on earth. But he doesn't just end it there. He then also says, praise him in his mighty heavens. Seeing all the angelic beings past this earth, the things that are maybe what we might even say is invisible or to, or to worship God. Hear what the psalmist is saying here. Where are we to praise God? Everywhere. In heaven and on earth. In the Bible, we'll read of that oftentimes, even when we talk about God who's created the heavens and the earth. And that's an expression of saying, he's made everything. In other words, I know I'm saying that word a lot, or that phrase, our praise should not be merely confined even just here this morning. And I want to put a little bit of caveat there because the Lord's Day is extremely special when the God's people gather. But our praise and worship of the Lord ought to be at all times, everywhere as well. In other, our, our, our praise is to be as, as extensive as God's rule goes. He has created it all. We might even be able to say, for lack of better terms, his, his, his handprints, his fingerprints are on all things, because he is the one who's created all things, invisible and visible. 
And so where are we to praise God? Wherever his rule is. And in our Lord's Day worship here, the reason why this is so special is here, as we're with this local church of Kirk of the Plains, here in Andover, Kansas, as we are called by the Lord to, as we're summoned as his people to come and worship, as, as God meets with us, we are joining in something much bigger than Kirk of the Plains. Do you believe that? As we sing these hymns that glorify God, we are joining in with not just the global church, but all the saints who have come before us and who are perfected in glory and holiness and worshiping him, the more perfect worship service. We are part of that service. We are joining in with the singing of the angels. God is pleased to be here with his people. We're reminded of that in various hymns that we sing. Let us love and sing in wonder. We hear that in one of the verses. Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted him before us. Now their praises fill the sky. Let us join them. Derek Kidner, he writes in his commentary on this verse here. So the call is, God's worship, is to God's worshipers on earth, meeting at his chosen place as the church, but also to his heavenly host, right? We might think of the doxology here, to mingle their praises with ours. Earth and heaven can be utterly at one in this. His glory fills the universe. His praise must do no less. What the psalmist is reminding of, of us here is in the midst of all of life, Whatever your week has looked like, whatever your month has looked like, whatever the season has been, what we need more of, more than anything, is a greater awareness of how the Lord ought to be praised. It's very easy to look at all the things in our lives, the things around us, how everything goes wrong. If you're like me, I'm a pessimist at heart. I look at how everything has gone not according to how I wanted it to go. But the psalmist is saying, redirect your gaze. What are you most captivated and overwhelmed by? And the psalmist is saying, may it be God. So that's where he gets to the second point, that as he calls us to praise God, we're reminded that our worship is not meant to simply be a a feeling that we feel, that we just worship God when we feel it, but, but there's a why to our praise in verse 2. In other words, there, that, that our worship is to be reasonable. Our, our worship requires us to think, right? Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. This is the reasons why we ought to praise. The first is that we consider and we know and we have seen, we have even experienced God and his mighty deeds. Now, this is not to say that we, we, we simply praise God for all the temporary provisions and providences. Those are great things to praise God for. All the little, I, I love that in our church services, we pray as a family and for our family, God's family. Those requests that, that Matt was lead us, leading us through, bringing before the throne of grace, we must do those things. And when the Lord answers them in his gracious provisions, we, we praise him. But we have to be careful that the only things that we want are simply the things that we can see right before us. 
The psalmist is wanting to reorient us in some sorts of ways of, of, of being able to take a step back from our lives and see the bigger picture of our lives fitting into a, a, a bigger story. And so when he's saying praise him for his mighty deeds, the, the psalmist is not merely saying praise him for all the little things that he's, he's, he's answered, but praise him more specifically that he's a God who redeems. The Old Testament readers and, and the early singers of this would have been reminded of the Exodus, the great deliverance and redemption act in the Old Testament. But for us, on this side of the cross, as awesome and glorious as the Exodus is, it opens up all the more in its glories when we see the true Exodus led by Christ for us. He has done something far greater than just simply splitting the Red Sea. He has bridged the chasm between sinners and God that we might be reconciled. That our sins might be taken as far as the east is from the west. And the psalmist is saying, remember this. Praise God as you cast your minds upon the gospel. The greatest fear I think I have as a pastor for any of our church members or anywhere I go is that the gospel would no longer be amazing. That would become dull. I want to say this, I love theology, and I love diving deep into it. I know we all, I know, I'm sure there's many of us here as well. But as we deepen into theology, may it not just simply exercise our minds, but may it also stir in our hearts a greater affection for the wonders of what God has done by his mercy and grace in Christ. I know we were listening to a song on the way here, we're about two and a half, three hours out, and so we're listening to a song here, and I was just reminded of that, that theology is to lead to doxology. There's no use in simply becoming uh, stuffed in our minds if it's not causing our hearts to want to worship the Lord more, to praise Him for His mighty deeds. As we consider the gospel, that's a question for us to ask this morning. Is it amazing to you? Or have you simply graduated from it? Because if you have, then you've missed, you've missed part of the gospel here. It is news that is so good, we can, be spoke, we, can, we can have it reminded to us for all eternity, and we'll still grow deeper in, its, in the depths of God's love for us. I'm amazed still that Christ would die for sinners. Not just in the abstract, but for a sinner like me. May we never grow old of hearing that. But the psalmist doesn't just simply say to praise him for his mighty deeds. This is true, but it goes even further and says, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now he's saying, praise God for simply who he is. So here we go. We have to praise God. In order to praise God, we have to know him. And imagine this, the, 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 the eternal, infinite God has made himself known to finite people like us, to his creatures, to know him, and we can know him through his word. This is the most wonderful privilege for us, to know God, to know him in Christ. 
we are reminded that he is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of the universe. He's the redeemer of our souls. As the Shorter Catechism says in question four, he is the eternal, infinite, and unchangeable one in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We are to praise God for who he is. But to praise God for who he is, we, we must know who he is. And he reveals to us who he is in his word. How wonderful is that? You know what this means then? This means that our praise of God is not dependent merely on how our life looks before us or our our own evaluations of them. And I want to say this. I know some of us are going through many, many difficult things. And I imagine that because that's kind of the life at our church as well. There are members, even just coming here, getting texts from various members of things that have been extremely difficult. What the psalmist is saying here is that if we're to worship God according to his excellent greatness, this means that even if everything in your life has gone south, God would still be deserving of praise. Simply because of who he is. I remember uh, I, I did my seminary studies, my MDiv, over at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. Uh, that's where I'm, I'm originally from. And on the side of our chapel, and I love sharing this story because I, I still remember how formative it was for me to walk to the chapel and they put a question just for, uh, I think it was from some of the founders of the people who started up that campus. And the, the, the question was, how big is your God? It, it was a question more, more, more about starting up the seminary and how, how this would happen and things like that. But it's a great question for us to ask. How big is your God? Not simply saying, like, what is your truth? That's not what this question is asking. But simply, have we, have we, have we begun to study the things of God, who God is, delved into deep biblical truths and theology so that we might master God or that we might worship him? In other words, we are left at a place where our knowledge and our minds cannot fathom, right? Think about even doctrines like the Trinity or the two natures of Christ and the list goes on of all these things. If we feel like we've mastered those truths and there's no place for us to have any sort of a place of mystery of who God is, we must be careful because there's no one like God. There's no one like him. How big is your God? How big is he? I think the times where I I, am reminded of my lack of faith is often in prayer, especially for other people. We'll bring our requests, but deep down I have to search in my own heart, God, do I really believe that, that you can actually do these things? And it convicts my own heart of the same question, how big is your God? He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of the universe. He is the one who runs it all. He holds it all, who is intricately moving all things for his glory, for the good of his people. He's the redeemer of our souls and our rock. Of course he can do it. Matthew Henry writes this. I love this. 
as we think about our praise. Be not afraid of saying too much in the praises of God. We cannot speak hyperbolically of God. All the danger is of saying too little. And therefore, when we have done our utmost, we must own that though we have praised him in consideration of, yet not in proportion to his excellent greatness. You cannot praise God enough. We could gather in this room with all the different dialects and languages of the world, with every vocabulary, all the words of the dictionary, of seeking all to praise God, and all, those, all of that would fall short of how much God is due praise. Not only that, we could, we could spend our whole life, our 80, 90 years, Lord willing, praising God, and that could never be enough. It will take all of eternity to praise God enough. How big is your God? We can never speak hyperbolically of God. Do we have that in our minds when we think of the excellent greatness of Him? We're reminded in Philippians 4.8 that these are the things we ought to be thinking about, right? Where Paul writes, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. For Paul, the par excellence of all of these things is, is Christ, in whom we are able to know God. Think on these things. Think on these things daily, brothers and sisters. Be captivated, be in awe, be overwhelmed by the excellent greatness of the Lord. Not just what he does in our circumstances. And as we think of that, then we're able to understand even all the more as we think of the great divide between his holiness and our sinfulness of, of the mighty deeds of the cross of Christ. It's a chasm that we could not cross ourselves or even dare to try. But God himself whose rich in mercy has done so in Christ. The Holy One. The Holy One has done this, and he is in our midst. But we're not only to remember why we're to praise him, but now how. Now this is always a little bit scary in, in Presbyterian churches of how to praise. We have our opinions on a lot of things and this is not going to be talking about how we should and what we should have in our worship service, what sorts of instruments you see them all here or, or, or what sort of body movements that there should be. Um, I've got my thoughts on that too. We can talk about that after service. But that's not what the psalmist is getting to hear. But in verses 3 and 5, he talks and says, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Now what's interesting here is that most of these instruments are actually not used for temple worship. And in doing so, the psalmist, what he's trying to do is drilling home the point of this, that we are to praise God with everything that we have. Give it your all. He's, he's using all these instruments that are being used in various ways. And, and, and I would say, I'm not as keen to trying to explain all these various instruments while they're there. 
I believe it's encompassing what this whole psalm is getting to again, is to drill home, praise God with everything you've got. Praise him from the utmost parts of your heart. Praise him body and soul, and therefore I believe we're called to sing. And I, something I love about Kirk of the Plains is you guys are a singing congregation. I love it. I love it. And the reason why is I believe that the Lord calls us to sing loud. You might think, well, isn't it just spiritual acts of worship? Yes. But the reason why we're called to sing is it's this, it's this merging of our bodies and our souls, of, of, of what's at the deepest recesses of our hearts and our greatest desire, our greatest longing. Is, it's almost like we cannot contain it, that it overflows into the loudest expression that our, our throats can make. It's, 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 it's praising the God who is our creator, body and soul, with our bodies and souls. And so I encourage you, Kirk of the Plains, to continue being a singing congregation. Sing loud. Sing out of the flowing of your hearts of love to God who is deserving of all praise. Exhaust yourselves to the praise of his glory. This is how we are too. And so I will not give my step-by-step uh, -step of how to get abandoned here or uh, <laughs> fog lights. No, we, we, won't do, we don't do fog lights. Um, <laughs> all this to say is give it your all to the praise of God for all that he's done. But the psalmist ends this with this fourth thing of who is to praise God. We've talked about where, uh, where are we to praise God, why, the how, and now who. And this is verse 6. Everything, but everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who's to praise God? Everything and everyone that has breath. This is the big vision that, that the psalmist has here. He's reminding us this is what we are made for. To praise God. This is the psalmist version of answering question and answer number one of our shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? to glorify and enjoy him forever. And the psalmist version of this is, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. At all times, wherever you are, with everything you've got, if you've got breath, praise him. Praise him. You can never, you can never praise him too much. And a life of looking at God and praising him for his greatness for his mighty deeds is never time wasted. Never is. It's our eternal destiny. And so this is the unending chorus. We see throughout the scriptures for us to sing a new song. I love songs. I love music. I love, I'm a Spotify user, so if you're an Apple music person, I'm sorry. But I love making playlists here and there. And songs are extremely formative. Songs that we sing, oftentimes a lot of my memories in life are associated with the songs that surrounded them. And maybe the psalms are kind of like that. We've got lament psalms, we've got happy psalms, sad psalms, thanksgiving psalms, psalms of, 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 of victory and, and, and even of, of celebrating God's deliverances. But at the end here, I believe the psalmist is directing our eyes forward, getting us ready of what this new song is. This new song that we see throughout 
And the song that will last, the unending chorus that even the saints today will sing, that we will sing for all eternity, is the glories of Christ. Well, Christ, what God has done in Christ, the one who is worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And I believe we get a picture of that new song ringing through all of eternity in Revelation. Revelation 5, 11, 13 has this chorus, this unending chorus. It's not just far off, though, and I want to say this, that if you are in Christ today, this, this command to sing this new song has begun. We are joining in on this song. We're not waiting just for, for, for when we stop breathing here on earth. That this call is now that we would sing this chorus unendingly, if that's a word, <laughs> and, and forever. We are beginning our, essentially our eternal destinies even now. Maybe not in full, but it has begun. And so here in Revelation 5, John writes this as he sees the heavenly congregation. He writes this, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbing, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is the chorus that is resounding in God's people, and it has begun now. You see, this is maybe a call for us into our, 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 our great commission callings as, as churches as well. That we, This is our longing. We want to see from the ends of the earth, from, the, from one end of the earth to the next end of the earth, for all the earth, for everything that is in the heavens, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, as, as, as we see here in Revelation, to praise the Lord. This should be the longing of the church, that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And so in some ways, as we gather as God's people on the Lord's Day, yes, we are coming to worship the Lord, but in, in other ways as well, it, it speaks to the world as well, as we're gathered here it speaks to the world, even just in our gathering, in the preaching of God's word, even here. That the Lord has given us a new song to sing. A song that will last for all eternity. A chorus that is resounding. And the amazing thing is this, that that chorus is already that chorus we have begun to sing. And we'll sing it for all eternity. This new song we will sing forever and ever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb to him who sits on the throne the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And so I end with this quote from Tony Moretta. He says, praising God should change us. It should transform us. We should leave corporate worship different from how we came. Our minds should become more informed. Our hearts more tender and thankful toward God. And our will is more determined to live for the glory of this most excellent and great God. Church, let us praise the Lord together. Let's take some time. I know there's a, usually a meditation on the word. Let's take some time to, to consider the words of the psalmist here who directs us to praise the Lord.
Maybe there's things this morning that you feel have, have, have shortened your breath, so to speak, in bringing your praise to him. Would we ask this morning just a simple prayer that the Lord would make us more aware, more informed of his greatness? That even in the midst of whatever is going on in life, that we are able to entrust him to his hands, and that he will even use them for the sake of his glory, and even our God, some way, somehow. But we have that promise, and we are assured of that, because Christ has really come. Christ has really died. Christ has really risen. Is truly ascended, and he will come back again. We, um, let me pray for us, and then let us go into a time of just meditation of the word um, there as we, I think, we'll go into um, the song, Behold the Lamb. But let me pray for us as we close here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, this call. We are so forgetful of how you are deserving of all praise and glory and honor. We're so forgetful of your grace and for your mercy. Lord, Lord, you are faithful to remind us. You are so loving and gracious and merciful in that way. You remind us that you are a God who is for us and with us. And we are assured of that in Christ. So Lord, as we look to him, may our praise be resounding. May we join in with the heavenly chorus. Lord, may we long for that day when our praise may be perfect in holiness. But until then, Lord, would you, would you instill in our hearts that you would ready us as we begin singing even now. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.